Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Trap Rock 101 podcast by Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns. You can call me JB or John Boy, whatever you want to call me. It is good to be back. Uh, we got a little off our schedule, our usual uh, once a week publishing schedule for the podcast. Um, life got in the way. Uh, you know, I moved and then I actually got to get on an airplane and go to a gig in Missouri. That was a really big deal. And then we had a hurricane here on the Gulf Coast. So, uh, you know, life's been a little crazy, but we are glad to be back with the Trap Rock 101 podcast and we are going to get back on our schedule of uh, publishing once a week. So this episode, episode number 11, features the one and only Coley McCabe Shepherd. Uh, love Coley, of course. She is a singer-songwriter uh, who had quite a bit of success in Nashville earlier in her career. And now she, uh, you might be able to call her the queen of trap rock right now. Uh, at the very least, she is uh, certainly very high uh, on the list of uh, female royalty in the genre. Super glad to have her. We cover a lot of ground in this uh, episode. Talk about her career in Nashville, how she got into the trap rock genre, uh, meeting Tom, working with Tom, the Lone Star Luau, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. We spend quite a bit of time talking about Tom's uh, recent vocal problems. Uh, and at the time we recorded this podcast, uh, Tom had not yet gone into surgery. Of course, this past Monday, August 24th, he was at Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, had surgery on his vocal cords. I'm happy to share uh, that surgery went well and Tom is on his way to recovery. So you hear us talk about that, but be advised that this interview was recorded about two weeks before the release date of August 29th. So uh, a lot of what you hear us talk about in regards to Tom's vocal problems and the upcoming surgery has already happened by the time you heard this. Um, also, do want to give everybody a quick update, uh, those of you who who follow me personally, know me personally, know that we had a hurricane come through my part of the world. Um, Galveston Bay uh, was ready for Hurricane Laura, but thankfully she went to our east. Um, unfortunately for our friends in Lake Charles, Louisiana, they pretty much took a direct hit from Hurricane Laura. Uh, please keep them in your thoughts. Do what you can to help them out. Uh, but everybody is good here in the Kima area at Pirates and Poets HQ. All of the Diaz family over in Nederland in the Beaumont area are good. So, uh, uh, you know, we have friends that took a pretty bad hit from uh, from Laura over in Lake Charles, but thankfully the uh, the Pirates and Poets, uh, Hannah's Reef, Party Girl, Saltwater Independent Music Crew, we all came out of it in pretty good shape, and we are very thankful for that. Uh, and we appreciate you uh, you supporting us and tuning into the Trap Rock 101 podcast. Uh, you can find us online, piratesandpoets.net slash troprock101. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean and lots of other places. Uh, don't forget to share the podcast. If you enjoy what we're doing, please share it with others so they can uh, discover it and uh, enjoy learning about our our wonderful and unique genre and community. Uh, so that's it. So here we go. Coley McCabe, episode number 11. Enjoy. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, grew up in West Virginia and um, my plan I hate, you know, starting things out on like a, a sad or tragic note um, today. But I, so yeah, I, you know, growing up, I listened, my parents listened really to mainly country music, you know, um, old school, like traditional George and Tammy and Merle Hager, Johnny Cash, you know, all that. And um, so when I got, you know, I was probably... I'm trying to think my very first like concert I ever went to like show that that I went to where I was just like wow that that's what I want to do with my life was actually um a Keith Whitley concert and I want to say I was like 12 13 14 somewhere around there and um you know, back then, like your mom, you know, my mom would drop me off at the fair and, you know, and leave, come back later. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> and it was okay. Like nothing crazy happened. But I'm, I probably smoked cigarettes. But anyway, um, it didn't tell her. But uh, so I went to see Keith Whitley and it started pouring down rain. And I've always loved his voice, but I just didn't know it at the time. I was so young. But I... um. I was watching him on stage and it starts this downpour and all that's left is like me and like two older women. And he was like, he just kept playing 
right? And he starts playing I'm No Stranger to the Rain. And he, his hair was all like afroed out because of the rain and, you know, it was like curly anyway. But I just stood there in awe because it was like, and there was only three of us there, but I was just like, man, I mean, everybody just scattered because the rain, but it was like, wow, you know, I want to make, even at that young age, like my hair was standing up on my arms, you know, I was like, I, that's what I, that's what I want to do. I want to make people feel like I feel right at this moment. And, um, so fast forward, I, uh, I started writing like, you know, lyrics were always like lyrics in songs, poems, always resonated with me, even as a little kid. And so I just started writing little stories down, you know, just writing down thoughts, random thoughts and, and little stories. And I started doing that after that, you know, around that time. So all during high school, my plan was as soon as I get, as soon as I get out of here, I am going to Nashville and I'm going to write songs and make records. And I didn't get to do that right away because I lost my parents. I lost my, um, my sister and my mom and my dad, right. Kind of right in a row right after high school. So my little sister, um, I'm the oldest, but my, so my little sister, you know, I had to, you know, just kind of keep, keep it together there for several years, you know, and, um, that was hard, you know, it was hard for both of us. I think I remember having to, you know, work three jobs, four jobs there for a little while, but there was about a nine month period after all that happened. It was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm never going to get to, I just remember thinking I'm never going to get to Nashville. It's just never going to work out. Cause I, how am I going to leave? Like, how am I going to leave now? Right. So, um, eventually it ended up that I could. And, and so I did. And, um, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. You know, I can tell later if you want, continue on about that. But yeah, I, um, but I started listening to all kinds of music, you know, when I got out of the house and, and kind of, you know, 18, 19, 20, that's when I really started listening to just all different kinds of music. And at what point did you become aware of Jimmy Buffett? Um, in between, like, you know, I, I only spent a year in college. I never finished college. But during that year, um, I remember seeing and hearing about him and, you know, thinking – and it was at the beach, you know, it was that girl's trip to the beach one year. And we all just like, I was, I think I was probably 20 and we took off and we were listening to him. Somebody had, um, had, this is terrible. I'm telling my age, he had, had a cassette tape and we were listening to it in the car, but it was, a, it was a comp. It was like, um, a beach music. Uh, I, I wish I could find it. I wish I could find out, remember who had that, but, um, that I was probably about twenty. It wasn't. It wasn't just a Buffett cassette tape. It was like a compilation. Yeah, it was like a, a. It was like a country beach music uh, compilation CD huh. volume. You know what I mean? How like there would be these right yeah volumes of of uh, music. I don't remember who like had a, it. a, a beach version it. of monster ballads or something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But that's when, you know, we just played a lot, played a lot that weekend. And, and um, it's just funny that now, you know, and then I kind of, you know, like I said, I just started, I was listening to so much, so many different, I just loved the, um, his writing, his songwriting, really. And, um, and I, you know, I just really started just listening to all kinds of, of music um, about that same time, probably about 20. And you had no clue that down the road you would be involved in this community that's built Mm -mm. around his music. Nope. Nope. And I I swear, you know, there's so many things about my life. If you had told me, you know, back then that I would be doing or, you know, things that have happened to me, amazing things that have happened. I would have just been like, it's just funny. The, the, the times that you're at a crossroads in your life and you don't even realize it. Like we always recognize the obvious ones, but sometimes like turns happen and you don't even know they're coming and they're not, they just kind of happen. You just naturally go take that route or take, take that turn. That's kind of happened a lot in my life. Yeah. The, the little 
decisions that seem like nothing at the time end up being, yeah. Yep. That's so very true. So when, what, what point did you move to Nashville? Um, so I moved, I finally got to get there. Um, oh my gosh, was it 96? I think. Yeah. 96. And, um, moved to Nashville. I had probably five songs that I thought were really good songs. And I had, you know, 150 that I thought were okay. And, you know, half of those were probably not good at all. But I had a few that I felt like were, because at that point I was listening a lot to like Mary Chapin Carpenter and just, you know, um, you know, writing I just felt like has always been for me like there's just such a bar, you know, it's just such a high bar. And so um, anyway, I took those few songs and, and um, I was just kind of trying to get a record deal. But I didn't know how, you know what I mean? It's like you get there and it's like how I started hanging out um, at happy hour things, you know, like where's everybody hang out and trying to just network. And I didn't, I didn't know anybody when I moved there, not a soul. And so um, I was just trying to figure out how do you network? How do you, you know, meet these people that make decisions in the music business? And um, so I ended up meeting a girl who was writing at a publishing company with um, Trey Bruce, who was a massive hit songwriter in Nashville. And um, he heard us upstairs one day writing and he came up there and he like opened this, the the velvet curtain. I'm not making that up. It was like, (laughs) it was like vibey in there, her room. And so I was like, Oh my God, I'm writing. I'm like a real publishing company. This is awesome. And so um, I was up there singing and this guy comes up and peeks through the curtain. He goes, Who's, is that a, is that you up here singing? And I, I was like, yeah. Um, he's like, I'd love to. Um, he's like, you guys come down um, to my office here in a little bit. I, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about maybe um, play some songs. So I had no idea that the girl that I was writing with is was his um, fiance at the time. And Trey Bruce, you know, was this massive hit songwriter. So I get done and I go downstairs at Big Tractor Music, and I was, and I walk in his office, and it's just wall to wall, gold records, platinum records, ASCAP awards. I mean, like there wasn't even a blank space. Oh wow! On the wall, and I was like, oh my god! And so I get in there, and we we ended up. Um, long story short, we ended up writing a few songs, and he he came into my house actually that like a couple days after that and he dropped off a CD and he goes here, pick three of these songs. I want to record them on you. So, um, that's what we did. And we went into, to, um, you know, I, I actually ended up getting a publishing deal out of that and then a record deal right after that. And so he and I went into RCA records and, and, um, they, offered me a record deal. And then, and it's crazy because I didn't even know what a publishing deal really was. Like, I didn't know what it entailed or what should I ask for, you know, how does it work? And so it was just a, that, that couple of years right there was a huge, and it was, that happened. So that happened about four years after I got to town. It took me about four years wow. to make that, make, make that happen. So when you moved to Nashville, did you think of yourself as a songwriter first or as a performer front person first? A singer. More, more than, I, I felt like it was kind of, I was, I felt like if I could get with other writers that were better than me, that I felt like I was, um, that I could be a really good writer. And what was funny is I found myself in those rooms quickly and I was afraid to say kind of sometimes I would, like if it was a big writer that I knew had a, a big reputation, I was afraid to say what I wanted to say in a song. And then I would hear it six months later on the radio. So I really quickly found out that I was a much better writer than I thought I was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I said, so then I just was like, no holds barred. I just started just putting it out there and, and saying whatever came to mind and really trying to free myself up um, creatively because I, I did have good ideas and I did have, um, you know, I was a better writer than I, 
it turns out than I thought I was when I got there. But I think it's always better. I always tell people that are moving to Nashville or, or trying, not necessarily moving there, but anybody that's that's doing this for a living and trying to be an artist and a songwriter, singer-songwriter, you got to always, you know, try to get with people that are similar but better than you because that will always make you better. Right. You're, uh, you're not gaining that much by being the biggest dog in the room. Right. Well, and just, and to not be afraid of, of your talent. Like, you know what I mean? Like the most important part I think is to, to collaborate with people that, that you have something in common with, you know, you're a fan of theirs. They're a fan of yours and go from there and don't be afraid of collaborating. Um, just kind of do it and, and fill it out and, and, um, but not to, but not be afraid of your, because your thing that you do is original to you. You know, I'm sure, you know, Buffett, I mean, we all know Buffett, nobody knew where to put him. They didn't know what he was, where does he go in the scheme of this music business. And he just did what he does and everybody caught up. Yeah, he did what he did and then he stuck with it for a long time and eventually, yeah. Yeah, he is a, he's, I mean, he did the whole deal. He left Nashville, you know, went to the Keys and he is definitely, in in some ways, I guess he is just as much of an outlaw as Willie or Waylon. Oh yeah, for in sure. In that regard, you know. I I think so. I never thought about that before. So there you go. Yeah. That's that's the aha moment of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so who who did you get the record deal with? RCA. That's a big one. Yeah, I remember calling my sister and going. I mean, you know, I was bawling. I was like, you know, freaking out. And I said, I got a record deal. It happened. I got a record deal. She was like screaming, where, which one, where? Because she'd, you know, been in the whole thing with me day in, day out, listening to my crying one day, freaking out happy the next. It's just such a roller coaster. And I, so I said, it's RCA. It's the same record label Elvis was on. <laughs> <laughs> like that was like the big thing. Um, but yeah, it was so cool when I went home, I re- there's so many good memories from all of that, but you know, then there's some not great ones, but, um, I remember I had to go home like as soon as possible. Right. Cause I, right. I just had to go be in person and tell everybody. <laughs> and it was a 10 hour drive for me to go home and I went home a lot, but I remember telling my sister, I'm like, I'm going to come home this weekend and we'll all celebrate. And I'll tell everybody all about it. And so I get home and I'm afraid to start crying. But I, um, I drove, I was driving down the, the road, you know, to my sister's house and, uh, I could see at the end of the driveway, you know, it's half a mile away still, but I could see at the end of the driveway, um, they had put dug post holes and put these two big <laughs> poles in the ground. They were probably two king size sheets long, like, oh, wow. long that, like massive <laughs> and it's, they spray painted on it and, you know, made like a homemade sign that said, I still have it actually. And it's, you know, to say congratulations, RCA recording art. Like it was just so cool. And I made them actually, when they did my showcase and, you know, they kind of present you to radio and everything. I made them use that sign. Like everybody else in Nashville had like their flashy, you know, signs presenting Coley McCabe, you know, whatever. And I was like, nope. We got to use this sign. So That's awesome. You're driving up Music Row. There's like all these awesome signs, and then there's mine. But I was like, <laughs> we got to use that one. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So what time? What time period were you on RCA? I'm just trying to build a timeline here. Yeah. So it would have been. It was 2001. Uh, no, 96. 2000 to 2003 couple years we worked on my record for a couple years and or you know a year and a half whatever switch producers and I was just always I felt like I was always on a chair arguing with standing on a chair arguing about songs yeah (laughs) shocking and um you know sometimes if you just do what they say it'll work out later for you like but I just didn't and there's things, there's so many things, there's politics and just the right the thing at the right time and so many things that, you know what I mean? It's just a lot of, 
a lot of factors in making the thing work. Right. And I, I just remember at one point that, you know, I, I went home and just was thinking to myself, it's not, it's not going to work here. It's not going to work here. And it's, you know, it's very heartbreaking when it happens. It's like, you know, now what? Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, you'd been in Nashville for a while, so you probably knew better, but you know, I think a lot of people, especially just fans, lay people, they think the getting to the sign to the record label means that you're going to be Elvis or Kenny Chesney or whoever. That's the easy part. The easy, the easy part is getting the record deal. The hard part is keeping it and, and making it work. And nobody knows that better than Kenny Chesney. I mean, I got to know him and become friends with him and we did some shows together and, um, you know, nobody knows that better than him. And he's just, you know, he's a good example of, you know, just making it work even from the beginning, you know, and it's not easy. I don't think for anybody, you know, no, it's, I mean, it's not. And you see so many people who, uh, I mean, I know dozens, you probably know hundreds of people who, you know, they went, they, they played the game that I think a lot of teenage aspiring musicians think that you have to go play. And then they, they learn how it all works and then they go off and actually make, make their living with the knowledge they picked up, but they don't actually make it playing the Nashville game. Right. And it was weird because like, I know that couple years that I had my record deal, it was such a whirlwind all the time. And like, I remember when I, during that time is when I got that big Shadaisy cut and I wrote that song with them and um, with Kristen and I wasn't even there for, for the, the gold and platinum parties. I wasn't, I was on the road trying to, you know, get to, I was at a radio station somewhere, you know, <laughs> trying to get them to play my, my record that I wasn't in love with. You know, that yeah. they made me record. You know what? Talk, talk about that. I think that's something that I, I mean, I've, I know very little about it. So I think the average fan probably knows nothing about it. The way that, and I think it's probably pretty specific to country radio. I don't hear it happening in, in rock or anything, but mm-hmm. they, they send you on tour, but it's not a tour necessarily a tour of venues. It's a radio tour. Right. It's a radio tour. And every, we, everybody jokes about how if you can survive your radio tour, you can survive anything. And it's very true. It's basically three months of five days a week running on about four hours of sleep Monday through Friday. Cause you got to get up. So you go out on the road, you know, to every radio station. The goal is to get every radio station in the country. So you go out um, with your, your regional, you know, promotion person from the label and you go out and you play, you just go play on your, your record. That's, that's, you know, about to come out. And um, you play live sometimes at six in the morning. And so you're, you're, you're up at four o'clock cause you got to, you know, warm up and be ready by at six then you go to breakfast with them when they get off. Then you go to the next station. You're there in the afternoon. You go to lunch with them. Then you go to the next station and you're there at drive time. Here comes my husband. If you hear a door and, um, and then, you know, go to dinner and then you're in bed, maybe at midnight, 1230 back up at four. And that just goes and goes and goes. <laughs> Hi, the masked songwriter, Tom Shepard. Yeah, in the background. that's right. I'm cutting wood. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And so what you do is you go out and you do a few songs at each radio station. And it's good because you can kind of get feedback from them about what they like and want to hear. And it's, you know, some what I found was a lot of times they don't even know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They don't even know sometimes. It's like... So it's just kind of a whirlwind and, and it's very draining and exhausting. And um, what I found out was, you know, it took me maybe like two weeks to realize what they were liking and not liking. So I just started doing what I wanted to do, not necessarily what the single was going to be because nobody cared. Nobody cared about what the single was. They didn't care about that song and neither did I. And that's what I was fighting about. Like, that's what I was constantly arguing with them about. It's like, I'm out here doing these songs. I, I know what is getting the response. And so 
it was hard. It's just, it's tough to navigate. Yeah, I think that whole radio tour thing is just, it sounds insane. Does it still happen nowadays? Yeah, you still got to get out there and go, not as much because a lot of the, a lot of it's changed a lot. I mean, there's, you know, ever since the whole, like YouTube has started being such a factor in discovering talent and all of that, it's like the landscape has changed a lot. Um, I think it changes a lot every five years. So I don't think you do have to go visit radio. They definitely, you know, you do have to do that. But um, I don't think it's as much of a hamster wheel as it it was then. Gotcha. So you get dropped from RCA and what'd you you do next? Well, I had a a meltdown, you know, (laughs) for a while. And also, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, the first thing everybody always says, why, why didn't you get another record deal? Why didn't you immediately get another record deal? Well, the honest truth is because you're damaged goods. That's, that's basically, it's not, it wasn't, you know, I did take kind of, I call it getting under the couch. I just kind of lived under the couch for a couple months uh, <laughs> try, trying to figure out what to do and how to, you know, who to, who to help, who to get to help me. And I had to just change everything, all of my people, like it was that were helping me. I get, it's just, you kind of got to just start over. And um, I don't know a whole lot of artists that have been able to do that. Craig Morgan is one. He was able to yeah. go from one to the other. Um, uh, I can't even think of anybody else. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to do that. And so I just was like, okay, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. And so I decided I would just keep writing. And I did. So that's what I did. But it was, um, it was very disheartening and heartbreaking, honestly. And I, I went through a pretty dark, tough time there for a while. And um, so I just kept writing and I was like, I'm just going to try to get another publishing deal. And so that's what I did. And over the course of um, the next eight years, I had three publishing deals. Um, and that's when I met Tom Shepard. And then you've met all the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. when Tom was still in Nashville at that point in time, I guess y'all were both. Yeah, we were. Um, so... Gosh, I want to say that's terrible. I should know. I want to say maybe oh six, seven, eight, maybe probably oh seven or oh eight is when we were like kind of Nashville's a small town, but I think we were aware of each other, like the names, like I knew who he was, he knew who I was um, about that time because our publishing companies we were writing for different, two different publishing companies, but in the same building um, and on Music Row. And so a lot of artists were always singers and songwriters were in that building coming in and out all the time. Um, and so um, we would see each other occasionally, you know, whatever, say hi in the hall or whatever, but we didn't really, really get to know each other until... Um, and, we, you know, I'd see him. I knew he played down at Legends and downtown, and um, I would see him occasionally at shows that I was doing. But um, it was a, it's a small town. The music business in Nashville is a very small community. So if you have any success at all, you kind of, you know, know, know at each other or run into each other at stuff. Yeah, and by that point in time, Tom had had a couple number one hits, so he was definitely known around town. Yeah, so he had, um, I had that big, that big Shadaisy hit in, in Nashville, was, you know, a big deal. It was a number five Billboard single, but he had had um, Redneck Yacht Club and uh, and Private Malone. It's funny because we found a, a, a work tape the other day. He came by my office at one point, I guess, and stuck a, a, a song, a, a CD with some songs on it when I, during, during, before we really knew each other, he'd put this in my mailbox at my publishing company and we found it the other day. And I was like, I remembered every word of this song. And he was like, why do you record it? Like, 
like right now. He's like, why didn't you record that? And I was like, I don't know. I don't remember. I think the label didn't love it. And there were like six songs in there. And I was like, that's the only one I felt like was any good. (laughs) (laughs) We were laughing about it. But yeah, he had um, both of those um, songs out. And, you know, you guys, everybody knows Tom's like, happy go lucky you know mr smile i remember seeing him in the in the parking lot one day and he was driving this is embarrassing he was driving well it's not embarrassing but (laughs) he was driving a pt cruiser oh that's not embarrassing at all (laughs) he had a pt cruiser i just didn't picture him in that car like he's too big long for i don't know but he gets out of it and um pop the hood open and I'm or the trunk open and I'm walking by and he goes, Hey, here, have a copy. It's my new CD. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm late. Okay, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I would see him a lot in the parking lot and stuff. And then we just we started we tried to write a song one day and it didn't we just ended up just really talking and hanging out and went to lunch and never really finished it. We still haven't finished that song. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you ought to go back and give it a try. I know. I remember the title was something like some something like the the best things in life aren't things. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we should look at it again. Yeah, go back just just for the hell of it. Go back and give it a swing, <laughs> you know. So I guess I think Tom's first time playing for Parrotheads and Trap Rock was. Either 2007 or 2008. I really think mm-hmm. it was 07, uh, but it might have been 08, Party Girl. Uh, yep. And then I think it was probably a few more years before he really, you know, started making the rounds in the trap rock circuit. But at what point did you realize what he was doing and what was your like initial thought of it all? Well, he was doing house concerts, which I knew nothing about. I wasn't doing that. And I just never, it never occurred to me that I would not be in Nashville. You know what I mean? I just always thought I would just stay there and be a songwriter. And he was telling me about, oh, I do these house concerts. And um, I was like, what is that? And so he was telling me what that was. And then later, you know, a year or so later, he was talking about, um, it was six string, actually. He was telling me about that. Uh, It came up, we were just talking one day and, he, and then he was talking about do, how he was doing these Parrothead gigs and about Parrotheads in general. And I was just like, wow, that's cool. I'm like, that's a whole thing. He's like, yeah, it's a whole thing. It's awesome. Yeah. So we just kind of, you know, he would mention it occasionally. And then when we started dating, it was 2011 when we like started going out and dating. And um, he was, you know, doing them a lot just around the country doing house concerts and parrothead shows and stuff. Right. And so when we moved to Texas, uh, I just, you know, he, he had some stuff on the books on the, on the calendar, some shows. And he said, you should come with me to, to this, to do this one. He's like, you, I want you to meet everybody and, and, and see what this whole thing's about. And so I was like, sure, you know, let's do it. We hadn't even talked about like, doing shows together at all at that point. But we booked, that was my phone. <laughs> we talked about, um, about it, but we hadn't really talked about it. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. we're, we're like, we should do some stuff together. Anyway, it was the Lone Star Parrot Heads. And um, that was the show. That was my first show. And I swear to, I, there, I've not honestly had a Parrothead gig since then that was like it. I, I just have never. It was like, I mean, people. it was jam-packed. And, you know, it was both Tom and I, you know, scheduled to do the show together. Right. But, I mean, it was jam-packed. People were crying, laughing. Um, I just never experienced anything like it ever in my life. You know, and so I was worried. I remember being super worried that nobody would, they would just, they just wanted it to be Tom. You know what I mean? Like they were loving what he was doing and, 
And I was really, I didn't tell him that, but I was kind of had anxiety about it. I was like thinking to myself, what if they don't like me or what if they, you know, they don't get it, you know, and it's funny how it's evolved now, um, you know, into what it has. Um, and it just makes me so happy that, you know, I, rem- I remember that night, like, you know how, you know how I am. Like, I'm just a sap. But <laughs> yeah, you are. You're, you're a little bit of a sap. So it's okay. I'm, I'm kind of one too sometimes. So, <laughs> But I just remember thinking these people are so amazing and they're helping us out with our gear. And why are they doing that? Like, who does that? You know, it's just like, it just honest to God felt like a family, like after even just that one night. And that's when I started writing after that show on the way home is when I started writing the meeting of the minds song, what, what turned into meeting of the minds. Um, Cause it was just, I, I've never had any, any experience since then like that. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, lots of people, musicians and fans alike have some version of that story of like the, when it clicks and like, Oh God, this is just, you know, it's a, it's very, very interesting. And, and, you know, I've talked to enough people who are in the music industry, but outside of, of this little world. And, you know, it, I think it's a pretty unique thing. Uh, you know, I, I think similar things happen in, in different places, but I think it doesn't happen nearly as widespread as it does right. with this community. So, right. Agreed. Agreed. So while we're, while we're on it, Meeting of the Mind, the Meeting of the Mind song was on my list of things to talk about. So uh, how did that come about? When, when was your first Meeting of the Minds? That year. So it would have been 2011. But I, um, I didn't even know, like, really, I was just like, what is going on? Like, all these people. <laughs> um, so I just really, that year was just kind of... Was it that year or was it 2000? It was, no, it was 2012. Sorry. It was 2012. It was the next, it was that next, next year. Um, but I, I just, I was writing, I started the verse, the verse, I had the two verses of that song, you know, that night on the way home from um, Saltwater Willies. And then, but I never really finished it until after meeting in the minds. Like it was uh, uh, so obvious. I was like, that's what this whole big picture is about. And what what year did you record that? I remember the year that they had you and Tom play it on the big stage, like before anything else happened on the big stage. I know. So I, you know, I don't remember. I don't know what, when we, we didn't record it right away. But I say that was either 15 or 16, the year that yeah. y'all did it on the big stage. Cause yeah. So probably 14. I think we recorded it 13 or 14. Yeah. A year later. That, that would make sense. Yeah, because that was my dream. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, if we could just, you know, open up with that on the on the main stage, that would be so amazing. And it came true. Like, yeah. that was that was magical. I had a buddy who uh, who had a room like the room. It was third or fourth story, but it was basically backstage. You know, like you could see way more backstage than you could of the stage. Um, yeah. And like I was just sitting up there and I'm like, wow, or Tom and Coley like walking around with their guitars in their back. And then I was like. Why were they coming backstage? They're like, you know, I don't remember who was supposed to, you know, who the first band was, but I was like, oh, wow. And then y'all got up there and did that. It was, it was awesome. So, yeah, it was, it was a magical, magical couple minutes for sure. Hey y'all, this is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. So, uh, I guess while we're on the subject of meeting the minds in Key West, uh, let's talk about the girls just want to have a rum show. Yep. I'm going to make it this year. So you are? Yes. All right. Well, I hope everybody else does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, it's on, it's still on. And um, I think we're about, you know, we're only doing like the COVID seating, right? So we only have half of the theater available. And so at, out of that, we've got a. I think we've 
we're getting close to, to being at max capacity, but, um, you know, we're, it's going to be, you know, so social distance seating. So, um, but yeah, we're full, full throttle with that. And the, um, and the, uh, the sunset cruise. Awesome. And just talk a little bit about the idea. I mean, it's, I can't believe somebody didn't have the idea earlier of doing an all female show and, I know it wasn't easy to pull off, so talk about the process. So, well, I'll I'll tell you. You know, a lot of people had come up to me um, to asking about it, or you know, mentioning you should do a girl an all girl show, and they've probably mentioned it to other female artists too. But Terry Reekin had the he is the one that came up to me and said, "You need to do this next year, and I will help you." And we'll, we'll do it, you know, at the, at the theater, um, and I'll help you do it. And so that's what we did. It it was really him. It was really him, um, kind of, you know, twisting my arm. I was like, I can't do it. I don't have time. It's too crazy of a time. And I I don't know if I can do a whole, you know, thing like that by myself. And if I have, if I have the time to dedicate to it. And I don't want to be, I remember my first response was, I don't want to be having to call everybody and making sure they're backstage. And I can't be dealing with (laughs) wrangling up a bunch of girls. And uh, so then I I was like, well, wait a minute. I can have, you know, a stage manager, you know, (laughs) somebody manage the show. So it actually went really smoothly and, and it was great. We got to rehearse, you know, obviously the night before and it all was, um, Again, you know, last year was just like, I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was sold out, but I was like, how's this going to go? And it, it totally surpassed, you know, my expectations. I had so many people coming up to me after afterwards. And the next day, a lot of men were like, that was our favorite. When you guys all got up there at the end and did I Am a Woman, like that was magical and that was one of our favorite moments of the whole that show was one of our favorite moments of the whole week so that it was all worth it you know yeah and like i said i hated to miss it but i think i i can't remember why i couldn't leave a day earlier but uh her i mean like i got to the island right as the show was ending and yeah you know i'm hearing this from everybody you know danielle was like I can't believe you didn't make it. I mean, she was crying and yeah, it was just a really special thing. And and it, and it definitely was something that hadn't been done. And I think that was why people liked it, you know? And so we're just gonna, I don't want to commit to saying it's, you know, going to be every year, but I hope that we can happen. Yeah. Cause uh, I I think it's something. and, And if you, if you pull it off this year, you know, in, anybody who pulls off anything this year has accomplished a feat. So uh, hopefully, it will be something that continues. Yeah, because I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the show, and I I know uh, a lot of people will want to see it. You know, in the yeah in the long run. So because it's, it, it's a theater, it's a theater show. Right. We've sold more VIP seats to it than any. I think literally we've sold two regular seats, and the rest are all VIP seats. VIP seating. But, um, yeah, there's still tickets left. So, um, and we're, we're doing it. Um, so. Yes. I, I just want to take the minute real quick to point out to everybody that a lot of things are still happening in Key West this year. Tom yep. Coley have shows. Jerry Diaz has got Sunset Cruises. Donnie Brewer's got theater shows. Pirates and Poets has shows. Uh, Drop Dead Dangerous is at Margaritaville. So lots of stuff going on. So, uh, you know, don't, don't give up on your Key West trip just because you think nothing's happening. So. Right. Because we're all, we're all going to be there. We are all going to be there. So uh, so I want to talk about the Luau, but before we get to the Luau, I, I want to hear you maybe talk a little bit about um, different events that you and Tom have played at and attended and what you, you know, the th- ones you've really enjoyed and then go into the process of what, what made you crazy enough to start your own event? <laughs> Well, Tom Shepard is the crazy one, not me. <laughs> I'm like, what? We don't have time, right? That was always my first, re- that was my first response because that's really how I felt. I was like, how in the world? We're killing ourselves as it is, you know, out on the road. How are we going to do a festival? How are we going to pull that off? And those of you who know Tom Shepard know that he is, you know, I think he and Donnie are very similar in the, in that they 
are like, okay, there's four minutes left in the day. What can we get done? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, take a nap, recharge. <laughs> but, um, so it was all Tom. It was totally all Tom's idea, the Luau. It was all his, his brain child. Um, and so we have been, you know, this is five years. That's crazy. Yeah, this is, is five crazy. years. I can't even believe that. But um, I mean, some of the we love party girl. I mean, it's the it's the one, right? Like it's it's just so amazing. And and when we were thinking about how to how to do it, it's like, okay, what are some of the other festivals that go on that? You know, we do a couple other festivals. We do the Music Fest, which is in um, Steamboat Springs every January. So we 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 love that festival. Um, we just kind of you know took bits and pieces of of stuff that we've done or you know been part of. Michael Hearn's big barn dance in Texas. We we you know there's so many right that we do all all the time. But we just kind of took the elements of of a couple different ones and. The, the real thing about the Luau was when we decided, okay, we're going to really do this has always been about the lineup. Like that's the most important part. That's the key component. Everything after that is secondary. And it's been a huge learning curve every year. You know, we just, now my husband's making little animal signs behind my head. Yeah. Get out, get out of here. We added another artist to the luau today. <laughs> Guess who we added? Who did you add? Information yet? Jerry Diaz. Woo! It's going to be official swim meet. There we go, folks. That's right. Breaking news on the Trap Rock 101 podcast. Huh? <laughs> I said breaking news right here. That's right. Breaking news. Yeah, I didn't even know. First. Go back to cutting that wood. Okay. Go. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's yay! I didn't know we've been like uh, running crazy all day. I didn't even know that that got confirmed today, so that's exciting. Um, but yeah, so we just really we're learning every year, trying to make it bigger and better every year, just like everybody else does that has events. Um, I think the thing that makes it different, you know, this year is going to be way different from any other year that we've done it. Um, but we just. I think our thing that makes it different is that is is the the Texas country aspect of it, and right. we want it. We want to always keep it though, um, primarily trop rock. Like, I mean, if I had to do it like a percentage, I don't know. If, I think Tom would 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 agree with me on this. We we kind of want to keep it seventy thirty. You know, yeah. Um, but we we always get feedback from the Luau and ask people, "What did you like? What did you hate? What can we do better?" Um, and that feedback for anybody that's listening is so important. It's so crucial in making your event better the next year because we want we want to have what what everybody wants. So right, and you know, it's interesting to me because definitely the the you know, the Texas y'all don't just have a lot of events have like one act that doesn't fit the trop rock vibe you know but mm -hmm. y'all you know obviously have several every year and you change those acts up <clears throat> um but also like the luau to me is like a really really big house concert yeah um it's it's really much more of a concert feel mm -hmm. than a festival feel certainly not a you know a party feel i, I know there's a few people that have gotten a little their feelings hurt over the years because it wasn't enough of a party for them, but that's just not what it is, you know? Right. And, but, and so that's the thing that's actually going to be different this year. Like we're going to, we're probably, and, and some of this is not all, all finalized, but what we're going to try to do because we have uh, Margaritaville on board, we're going to try to maybe have two stages going so that, um, you know what I mean? People have an option who they want to see, but also yeah. at nighttime this year at night, it's going to be party, like dancing party, you know, nobody's going to be shushing or any of that. And, and, and the way it's going to be laid out this year, you're not, we're not going to, nobody's going to be, have to be shushing anyway, because the rooms, uh, it's still going to feel like a concert, but 
but the rooms, the outside of the rooms is big enough that people can go out there and chat and, and have a good time still and still be able to hear what's going on inside. But the party aspect of it, we are going to do at night this year. Cool. Well, yeah. I know there'll be some people that are happy about that, but you know, yeah. that's like I said, that's, that's, uh, I've been lucky enough to work three of them now and that struck me pretty quick at the first one I worked was just, you know, that it was like a big house concert. So, yeah. Um, so while we're talking about the, you know, the Texas country, it's very interesting that y'all, uh, to me, as big, you I mean, y'all are like pretty much full blown rock stars in the trap rock world. Um, mm-hmm. you know, female vocalist <laughs> of the year, duo of the year, all that good oh, stuff. No, it's crazy. But you also have, um, like this whole other career basically in, Texas red dirt you both kind of made this transition from Nashville artists to to both trop rock and Texas red dirt at the same time yeah yeah when we moved to Texas well for me I know when I lived in Nashville some people industry people would say to me you seem like a Texas artist and I I was always like what does that mean like I, I don't know what that means the first time I, the first show that I ever went to in, in Texas was at Nutty Brown. And, um, I mean, as soon as I got in the place and, and for those of, of you who aren't familiar, it's just an outdoor venue with the string up lights. It's just the coolest, coolest place. But I remember thinking, and as soon as the music started, I was like, I totally get what they're talking about. I totally get now why they said that to me. There was just something, I think, more kind of raw or organic or whatever about my music and, and the way I write and the way I want it produced and the what I gravitate to myself as a fan that's more organic and, and raw than, um, than Nashville. And I think that's what they were – I think that's what they meant. Um, so yeah, we, we both had separate, uh, careers in Texas. I, I, you know, we shared a lot of the same band, but I did my gigs. He did his, Tom did his, and then, um, you know, and then we started doing stuff together occasionally. Um, and it just kind of, then we started doing the parrot head stuff and it kind of, you know, morphed into what it is today. Yeah. It's, it makes that it's just really interesting to me that, and it's, it's not like you moonlight in one or the other, you you probably do more trap rock than you do Texas yeah. stuff, but you yeah. do, you do quite a bit of Texas red dirt stuff. So, you know, yeah. it's not like you're just moonlighting. So, and, and that's, I think that's great. Cause I think that's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a two different art forms that y'all are both interested in. So it's, it's good to see, it's good to see y'all getting to do both things. And it's, it's, right. It, we're, we're glad that we can do both. Um, yeah. And, but we do a, a whole whole lot more trap rock than we do, um, you know, Texas country. But we are we're, we're we feel super fortunate that we can do that we can do both. Right, and then I mean I, I know that there's you know been some folks who probably never would have come into the trap rock parrothead world as fans if it wasn't for y'all. They found y'all through the country stuff, and then now they right. like trap rock. So that's a good right. thing. Right. Yeah. So uh, I do want to talk about uh, the the latest CD, Shotgun. I know it's pushing two years old now, but uh, it, it's a great record and you know great Thanks. songs, obviously, and well produced. So talk a little bit about that. It, was that the y'all y'all did like the kind of duo record before that? But to me, this one was very. To me, this almost feels like the first Tom and Coley. Right, I know what album. you mean. Yeah, yeah. This one was was. The first one was kind of um, just things that we had done separately put into an album to, of, of, of us together. Does that make, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it was, it was kind of to me like a, we're a couple who have separate careers and we're just doing this as like a side project as where shotgun is like, we're a unit musically and romantically. Right. right. And that's exactly how it, it, was thought out and, and made to be. Um, so we were just trying to do just exactly that. Just is, you know, not really anything complicated about it. We were just like, you know, um, 
we didn't think about, okay, we need this kind of a song or we need that kind of a song or whatever. We just kind of, you know, came up with the songs that we did and together, you know, and, and wrote most of them. Um, a couple we didn't, but there are things that we do live together that we have been doing that people really liked. And so, yeah, it's a much more congealed, like, duo album for sure. Right. And uh, you included, uh, I know Cindy Jim wrote at least one song. Eric Erdman wrote one. So, yeah. John Paddy's on it. So, uh, a lot of our extended Trap Rock family was included in the project. Yeah. Yeah, and we're just going to continue that on as much as as we can. I think that's always good to do, and I, I love that about this genre too. Um, you know, it's like Eric's on uh, Aaron's new record, and um, I just think it's really cool to be able to do that. Um, and we're we're overdue. We're 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 really thinking about you know right. We're going to take these next six months um, to really write. I'd I'd like if we could just write everything. Maybe do one, um, you know, surprise something on their cover of something obscure. I don't know. But we're really going to spend these next um, four, four to six months just writing, 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 writing yeah. together and with other people. So I guess this is a good point to uh, to talk about the big announcement. And, and uh, they we're recording this on August 12th. It won't be. It won't be released for a couple of weeks, but today y'all announced that uh, I think everybody's pretty aware that Tom's been having some vocal problems for a while, and y'all made the announcement that Tom will be having surgery. Uh, in fact, by the time this is out, he would have already had the surgery, I think. So, Yeah, so the, 20, uh, the 20th we go to Nashville, and the 24th is when it happens, the surgery happens. It's been so stressful, and I can't even really – like it's been emotionally really draining on us because we know when it's not working, you know what I mean? And right. to have to go through a show and know, you know, you, we don't let people know that how much when it's happening, the panic that happens. Cause I can read him like a book. I can see that he's struggling. I can see um, that he's not going to be able to get through this song without, changing the melody and, and just singing it lower or whatever. It's, it's a minute to minute literal, like it's for the past year, it's been a minute, a moment to moment. Is he going to be able to finish this song literally on stage? And that is so stressful. It's just so stressful. I can't even describe it. It's been really emotionally draining um, because I, I felt like, you know, he's got to come to this decision on his own. Like I can't, I can I know what I would do if it was me, but you can't tell somebody this is what you need to do. Cause especially somebody like Tom, you know, he's a two time cancer survivor. He can, he can fix anything. Right. Right. And so that's been his mindset. And I just have had this deep down feeling that it's, it needs to be removed. Like, I could, there, there just hasn't been a lot of progress the past six months. And so with the therapy and all of that, and he, you know, a couple weeks ago, there was a, we did a show and we got in the car when it was over and we had a conversation about it and it wasn't like an ultimatum conversation, but I just, I said to him, I can't, I can't do, we can't do this. We can't continue. This can't happen. What happened tonight can't happen again. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so um, he didn't say anything. It just was a very quiet next couple of hours. And then I heard him on the phone a few days later talking to Vanderbilt and making the appointment um, because we, it, he just finally was at the realization that it's just not going to get better. And, and there's no good time. You know, there's, there's never going to be a good time is you just got to do it and get it over with. And he's, I can tell, you know, as it's getting closer, he's, you know, getting a little more anxiety about it because it is worrisome. And, and yeah, we know a lot of people, we both know a lot of people who have had it done, had that surgery, but it's still when it's you going through it and, and you, you don't have any control over the situation. It's, it's stressful. All right. 
Well, I know, uh, like I said, by the time people hear this, the surgery would have already happened. So uh, check out Tom and Coley's social media for an update. I'm sure things will be. Tom will be on his way to recovery by then. So yeah, and I'll be updating everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do some some live videos as things are happening, and you know, kind of let everybody know, keep everybody in the loop. Yeah, so check it out on Facebook, and uh, yeah, just uh, I hope all that turns out well because we want Tom back on stage, we want you know y'all back on stage, and and yeah. life back to normal. We want so many things to go back to normal as soon as I possible. Know. Jeez. <laughs> But uh, crazy. But y'all, uh, you already said this, but your uh, the Key West shows are happening. The, yeah. the girls just want to have a rum and the uh, cruise, the Sunset Cruise. Yeah. And the Lone Star Luau is happening. So. Yeah, LoneStarLuau dot com slash forward slash ticket. There you uh, go. But we, we're really hoping that um, you know people show up in Key West. It's going to be a great time, even though you know. Some of us will be wearing masks, whatever we got to do, but we're, we're going to be there and it's going to be a great time. Um, so we're really hoping people will show up and, 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 you know, let's just do it and, and have fun and, and keep it, you know, just keep it going, you know? Yeah, exactly. Just keep the ball rolling. Uh, too many things have not been able to happen and, you know, the way things look right now, Key West can happen in some form or fashion. It's not going to be what it usually is, but, right. you know, I think it's better to make it happen in some form or fashion than just let it go for a year. So, yeah. Anyway, well, we uh, always wrap up these episodes with some rapid fire questions. So, uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> before, before we get to those, do you have anything else you want to want to talk about or share with folks? <laughs> I can't think of anything. I think we. I think I. Talk, I feel like I talked a lot. Well, you know, they don't want to hear me talk. They want to hear you talk. So, <laughs> oh, so all right. Here we go. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? Son of a Son. Nice. Yep. Favorite cocktail. Mm. Mojito. All right. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Oh, I gotta go, Kenny. Yeah, you're uh, Kenny needed some help. He's he's losing that that question pretty pretty heavily. So, <laughs> what is your uh, favorite trap rock song by another independent artist? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Multiple answers are okay. So, uh, it's hard to just say one. Oh my God, Tom's out there singing Country Roads <laughs> in the hallway. Um, oh gosh, it's so hard. Seriously, like I don't want to choose. I feel like I. Mm, you can throw out two or three. I feel bad though, like that you can't pick. I don't want to just pick something. <laughs> <laughs> just um, throw, throw a few out there. It's just hard to say. Let me think on it and come back. All right. Well, let's come back. Here's an easy one. Your favorite beach. Mm, I got to say Cayman. That's on my bucket list. Uh, Yeah, I would say I got to say Grand Cayman. Okay. So what is a book that you've read that you think everyone else should go read? Oh, my gosh. I got to get back into reading more, but I would say... And I can't even remember the author, and that's terrible, but it's called A Woman of Substance. Okay. Ah, what is her? What is her? I can't think of the author. I need, I need to look look at it again. You know what? We can Google it right now. Yeah. And it's kind of intimidating because it's pretty thick, but um, I can't can't remember who wrote that. That's awful. A woman of substance. It's been made a movie too. Um, Barbara Taylor Bradford. Barbara Taylor Bradford. Thank you. Yes, published in yeah. 1979. A miniseries was made in 1985. So. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> All right, and uh, here's the big question. Uh, if you couldn't answer the song one, I'm afraid this one may really throw you for a loop. But oh gosh, 
I just feel bad. I hate doing that, like choosing. Yeah, well, here you go. If you were going to build a Mount Rushmore of trap rock artists, what four people would you put up there? Tom is not eligible for your Mount Rushmore. Tom is not eligible. Nope. Mm. Jerry Diaz. I'm going to go ahead and say Donnie Brewer. Are you writing this down? I am. Yeah. At some point, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do an episode where I go back and, and compare everybody. Yeah. Oh, it's, I hate these. I hate having to choose. <laughs> James White. Oh, that's so hard. I'm going to. I'm going to say John Patty. JP. Yeah. See, I hate doing that, though. It's like playing favorites. I feel well, bad. Well, you know, here's the truth is <laughs> everybody has favorites and. It's just human to have favorites. So. Ah, I feel bad. I always hate doing those. Yeah. And, I guess uh, that's who it would be. I, okay. I yeah. And if you were going to add one more person who is not a musician, someone from the community, radio people, anything like that, just a fan, who would that be? Mm. It can be radio people. Anybody in the community? Anybody. Just anybody. As long as they don't play or sing. Oh man, it's so hard. Hmm. Oh, this is so hard. There's just so many amazing people that represent the genre. You know what I mean? Yes, ma'am. I, I love it. I love it. So. Um. Oh my gosh. Oh dear. <laughs> this is so hard. I guess I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go with Eric Babin. E B. Yep. He's staging the I comeback. I should do a little split head of him and Gina. Okay. Like a half face each. <laughs> That'd be kind of creepy. We could put the, <laughs> we could put the radio trap rock parrot up there. How would that be? There's just so many pe- amazing people in this genre. It's just it's hard. That's hard. Yes. Oh, I hate those. I hate those questions. Well, what, see, when I'm done with this podcast, and I don't mean this episode, I mean with like this is not going to go on forever because sooner, you know, you're going to run out of people to interview and get their history. I'm going to add it all up yep. and like, you know, do that. So the funny thing is, I thought a lot of people would say EB for that question. Yeah. And uh, I think you're only the second person that said him. And I really thought that he would probably be getting like 40, 50% of the votes on that. So, yeah, especially since he's gotten his hair trimmed. I think he would be, he would fit great on that. On the he, he got, his hair, he got his hair off. trimmed. Well, maybe it's probably grown back out again. Okay. I, I really like the flowing hair on EB. Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, well, Coley, it's been so good to talk to you. I'm uh, I'm excited to see you in person uh, in just a couple of days. And I know I'm excited. I'm, I'm even excited huh? to see Tom. I said I'm even excited to see Tom a little bit. So yeah, we're uh, so we're gonna get to the Ozarks um, Friday. So day after tomorrow. Yeah, I will be there. So, uh, but thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I just want to tell you how much uh, yeah, I have enjoyed getting to know you and Tom on a personal level the last few years. And uh, I'm so glad that Tom decided to, to join our community, but I'm even more glad that he decided to drag you into it. So, Thanks. All right. Thanks, John. Boy, I appreciate you. Love you, girl. See you soon. Love you, too.